Romans chapter 4. That's where we are in our study through the book of Romans. One chapter each week. So far I'm three for three. First three weeks, first three sermons, first three chapters. Now we try chapter number four. It's going to get kind of hard. I'm going to, I'm going to still aim for that same goal. One chapter each week. But it gets hard because there's so much I want to share as we go through this. It's like you could spend your lifetime in the book of Romans. And uh, I could probably prove that if you want me to. But I think we're, we're trying to stay our course. What we have seen so far in our study, these fundamental things of our faith, as expressed in this book here, chapter number one, Salvation is only accomplished by the power of God. Chapter 2, salvation cannot be bargained for. Chapter 3, the depth of our sin makes it impossible to earn our salvation. And here today in chapter number 4, faith alone, faith first, justifies the ungodly. Follow along as I read this chapter to you here. Chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is a man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. For he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of that faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe, while being circumcised, uh, without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision, to whom? Uh, to those who? I'm going to start getting this jumbled up. Here we go. The father of circumcision, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised, for the promise of Abraham uh, or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, and where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of, of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. In the presence of him 
whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. Wow. You ready for all this? Let's talk to the Lord first. Heavenly Father, your word is is powerful. It's active. It always accomplishes what you send it out to do. And sometimes when we read it, we're overwhelmed. There's a lot in these pages. But Lord, you are so good as our teacher. You help us understand. You, you give to us what we need. You feed us like children. And you provide for us. And we ask you that again this morning as we come before you. Your word open in our hands. Our hearts open before you to hear. Challenge us with this text, we pray. Show us what we need to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're looking at faith here. Obviously, as you went through this, you saw the name Abraham, right? Many times over, it mentioned Abraham in here. A very essential person in Scripture, but also one that was misunderstood in some regards, especially as the Jews looked upon him as their father. Let me explain what I mean. Dr. Seuss uh, had a book years ago that I recall one of my favorites had to do with the starred belly sneeches. I don't know if you remember the starred belly sneeches or not. There were a group that had stars on their stomachs, and they were the in-group, and those who did not wanted one. And somebody came to town with a great big machine that was capable of putting a star on your belly. And so they paid all their money, those without stars, to get stars upon bars. And they went through there, and soon everybody had stars on their belly, and the ones who originally had them wanted it removed so they'd still be unique. So they paid the guy to have his machine remove theirs. And the whole story goes where they just ran round and round and round. By the end of the story, we don't know who originally had one and who didn't. It was really a masterful piece of, of writing. But the starred belly sneeches are what comes to mind every time I think of this picture of Abraham and how the Jews viewed him. To them, Abraham was a star on their belly. He was the mark for them. That they had achieved justification before God, that they had somehow arrived, they were credited with righteousness because their father was Abraham. That's what they did. 
it says in verse 5 of this chapter, this is our key verse to sum up the whole. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now there are two very significant things in this, in this verse, in this fact here. First, that only faith can justify a man before God. Only faith. That's what it says. His faith is credited as righteousness. Because he believes in him who justifies the ungodly. That's the first thing we're going to notice as we go through this. So only faith will be credited or counted as righteousness. There's illustrations in here that Abraham is going to help us with. We are not in any position to justify ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves before God. The first five verses will show us that. The reality comes down to this. It must be faith. It must be faith. Faith is first. There are a lot of things we do, I know, and a lot of, of, of identifications to identify us as one who has received Christ. We have evidences. We have, have things that we do, perhaps at times we're used something like baptism as a sign that I have received Christ as my Savior. We have the activity of fellowship. We have the activity of using our gifts. We have the things that the Lord has done that shows that this person is a believer in Christ. We all see that, don't we? Tangible things, visible things that say this person is one who knows Christ as Savior. But faith must come first. Faith must come first. See, if we could understand that, and then I would do my best to try to clear it as I go through this morning, that opens up books like James and Galatians and so many other books in the New Testament that speak to this very same point. And guess who they keep using as their example? Abraham! 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 It's all over the pages of the New Testament. Must have been a big issue, huh? One that must be understood. He does it here in Romans chapter 4. So Abraham will be our illustration today. To illustrate that we are not in any position to justify ourselves before God. And to illustrate that faith must be first. Faith must be first. For without faith you can ever, never be justified before God. Let me ask you something as we start here this morning. Simple question. Do you believe in God? Yes. Good. Do you believe God? That's a different question, isn't it? Do you believe God? What he says. Do you live like you believe God? Now that's the summation of Abraham. He lived like he believed God. Read his, his life sometime. We don't have time today. You can go back to Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way through 22 and beyond. The chapters that show you that Abraham lived like he believed God. That's called living by faith. He's that example that we must see here. When we're reading through chapter 4, understand this. that When Paul wrote this, there weren't chapter breaks. You don't write letters like that. 
we put the numbers down, and I'm glad we do, because it's helpful to pastors to tell you where to turn, uh, where to find what we're studying here. But when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't have numbers in front of his sentences. Chapter 4 is an extension of chapter 3, which is the extension of chapter 2. It just goes together as a letter. And what he has already told us is significant to what he's trying to show us here. There's no break here. Chapter 3 said we weren't in a position to justify ourselves before God. We were declared sinners, remember? You saw that last week. Our mouths condemn us. Our feet condemn us. Our attitude condemns us. There's no good works that we could bring to the table to justify ourselves before a holy God. Chapter 3 told us that. And then chapter 2 told us that God's not partial. You cannot bargain with him. He does not justify by favoritism. Abraham had a very special place in God's eyes. He was called the friend of God, right? But that did, did that give him an advantage somehow before the throne of God? Look here in chapter 4, verse number 1. What did Abraham find? What shall we say, he says in verse 1, that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What has he found? Verse 2 is the answer. Works did not justify him before God. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, he had nothing to boast about before God. But his descendants are doing an awful lot of boasting. This is what we see throughout the New Testament. And sometimes you wonder, if you're reading the passages, like John 8, let's go over there for a minute. You're reading it and wondering, what is going on? What, what is the background to this chapter that there's such a, a, a animosity to the things that Christ is saying? There's such a, a conflict, you can almost sense your page quivering a bit, you know, from the tension of the dialogue between Jesus and the Jews. And watch what, what's going on. I'll tell you what it is before we go too far into it. They were standing there saying, but Abraham is our father. With a big star on their chest. Right? You got the picture? Listen to the dialogue. John 8. Let's start with uh, verse 31. Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed him. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He had just taught about sin, the freedom that one could find in the truth. If they would believe him, how did they respond? Verse 33, they said, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say, you will become free. Let's evaluate that question just for a second, that statement. We have never been enslaved to anyone. True or false? <laughs> uh, big time, exactly. But they're Abraham's descendants. Notice their star. So, we go down to verse 38. Jesus talks more about, uh, especially verse 32, 
6, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. He starts to speak to them further about the word of his father. How do they respond? Verse 39, they said, Abraham is our father. They point to the star again, don't they? Abraham is our father. Interesting, isn't it? Jump all the way down to verse 52. I'm not going to go through the whole dialogue. Jesus has just said, I'm honoring my father. You're dishonoring me. I do not seek my glory, but the one who seeks, uh, but there is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Isn't that great? And this is their response in verse 52. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? This is an interesting thing. They're trying to figure this out. You can't be greater than our father, they said. You can't be. He's dead. The prophets are dead. So who do you think you are to say that if you keep your word, if we keep your word, we will never die? Abraham died. The prophets died. Who are you that you could say, believe my word, and you'll never die? Jesus says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And fuses popped all over the circuit breaker. Why? They said, now wait a minute. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Wow. How do you respond to that? Verse 58. Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. They knew exactly what he meant. They picked up stones to kill him. He had just claimed to be God. Is that a powerful conversation? Can you sense it, even with the little snippets I gave you? The tension in that room, or outside, wherever they, uh, outside, I guess there's stones. What were they hanging on to? What was their faith anchored to? What did they think would justify them before God? Abraham is our father. That's all they had. Abraham is our father. That was their faith. That's what they held to. You see it? They're part of the Abraham club. They wear special badges. T-shirts to say, I'm of Abraham. I'm in. That was their boast. When Paul wrote to the book of the, the Romans here, when he wrote this book, did you ever find him boasting that I'm a descendant of Abraham, therefore I'm in? Matter of fact, 
when Paul does give his credentials in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I'm a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, that which is in the law, I'm found blameless. He could stand right beside any Jew and boast, and probably boast louder than any of them. He could have. Very likely, possibly, he heard conversations like this too. Because Paul was well in his 30s when he was saved. That was right after the ascension of Christ. He could have been among these. Who were standing there saying, I'm of Abraham. I'm of Abraham. See, they counted on being a descendant of Abraham. They counted on being circumcised. They counted on doing the law. And they said, those three things justify us before a God like ours. We can stand before Him because we do these things and we're part of Abraham. But what does John tell us? When he writes his gospel, did he not start this way? In John chapter 1, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in His name. Who were born not of blood... Abraham, not of the will of the flesh, circumcision, not of the will of man, doing the law, but of God, but of God, born of God. So Paul's writing here in Romans chapter 4, and he says Abraham had nothing to boast about in verse number 2, nothing that could justify him before a holy God. Was Abraham a sinless man? No, he was not a sinless man. The first five verses go to say, all the way through here, Abraham believed God. That's what credited him as righteousness. It's not his work. It's not what he did. He didn't get favors this way. It wasn't what was due. But, verse 5, to the one who does not work but believes in him, who justifies the who? Ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. He's an example to a truth. A simple truth. But one that's profound at that. We are not in any position to justify ourselves before a holy God. We are declared sinners. We are declared sinners. There are no good works that we could do to make up for that fact that we are sinners. We cannot bring anything to the table to justify ourselves before a holy God. That's an essential truth that we must come to understand if we're going to understand what faith is all about. You read through this passage and it says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. Verse 9 Faith is credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 11, he's the father of all who believe. Verse 12, follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. Verse 13, the promise that which was promised to Abraham that he would be heir of the world through the righteousness of faith. 
verse 16. It is by faith. Those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, he believed God. Verse 18, he believed. Verse number 19, he did not become weak in faith. Verse 20, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Verse 21, he was fully assured that what God has promised, he was able to do. I love that verse. I just love that verse. I like to call that practical theology. He was assured, assured that what God had promised, he was able to do. I always said you could define theology as simply this. God is able. God is able. There's an illustration at the last part of this chapter as I read through it. We get a great picture of that. God is able even to bring the dead back to life. He is able. Verse 22, therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, all this to say, throughout this entire chapter, and practically every verse, if not every verse, every other verse, has said, Abraham had faith. Abraham believed. Abraham believed. Abraham believed. What's his point? Abraham believed. Faith, right? Faith. Is that confusing? I hope not. It's said on, uh, over and over. To whom does God credit righteousness? Those who have faith. Who's justified before a holy God? Those who have faith. Those who believe. That's what the whole chapter is telling us. Not to those who work. Not to the one who works. Because his wages is is owed to him. You pay him. But the one who does not work, verse 5 says, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's our illustration in that twofold way. First of all, that we are not in any position to justify ourselves before God, and secondly, that it must be faith first. Faith first. Without faith, you can never be justified before God. Let me ask you this as we walk through this. How well do you know the, the, the chronological events in Abraham's life? If I said, okay, tell me the whole story of Abraham. Could you do it from beginning to end? Make sure they're in order. It's very important. You say, well, that could be a little challenging. But let me tell you how it works this way. Already stated, the Jews had three things that they considered significant credentials that justified them before God. I'm a descendant of Abraham, number one. I've been circumcised, number two. I do the works of the law, number three. Number, well, number three, they, they claim it, but they didn't do it. All right, you just have to go with what they said. But uh, here's the clincher. What about number two? What about the fact that they're hanging on to being circumcised? What, what is that all about? What, why does that gain merit before God? Here's the question. Which came first? Faith or the circumcision? This is what Paul's whole point is. This is where it comes right down. You have to have the right answer here. Because this is where the Jews went wrong. 
How? Well, verse number 9. Is the blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? When he was circumcised or uncircumcised? The answer is right there. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Here's how it goes. In Genesis chapter 12, God spoke to Abraham and said, Go to a land I'll show you, right? Did he go? Yes, he did. He believed God and off he went. We read that in Genesis chapter 12. Along the way, God stopped him and said, Hey, look at the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will be like that. Look at this land you're walking upon. I'm going to give it to you. Look at the stars of the sky. Start counting them. That's the number of descendants that you would have. All of these are incredible statements. Number one, he didn't own one inch of that land prior to that, what the Lord had done here. He lived in a tent, remember? Number two, he had no children. Now, it makes the promise pretty incredible. But this is what God kept saying to him. In Genesis chapter 12, he said that. Genesis chapter 13, he did it again. Genesis chapter 15, he did it again. God kept saying the same promise. The whole time, where's the children? None. None. Well, here's what's interesting. By the time you get to Genesis 15, let me show you what it says here. Because that links us right to where we are. Genesis chapter number 15 and verse number, well, I should go start with one. All right. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham, I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. So Abraham said, O Lord God, what shall you give me, since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look to the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and it reckoned to him as righteousness. Was he circumcised yet? No. You see? He believed the Lord. Chapter 17, the Lord says, Okay, I'll introduce you to something new. I'm God, walk blameless before me, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. And this is what he said in verse number, what do I want? 11, 10, 11. This is 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Was the covenant already in place? Yes. Was faith already credited to Abraham as righteousness? Yes. What is circumcision? Just a sign. It is not the covenant. It is a sign of the covenant. You know the difference? You could go down the street and see a sign that says Hillsdale, and it points this way. Is that Hillsdale? No. Not till you get in town, and then you're there. Circumcision. There's a sign. Is it the covenant? No. It is not the covenant. 
It's the evidence of the covenant. You see, they wear their badges, don't they? They wear their marks. They say, this is what, this is what it's all about. This is what God has honored. This is the, the sign that we are justified before Him. And that's not true. He wants faith first. Faith first. The Jews were counting on circumcision to save them. God promised long before that, that it was faith. You know, if God changed his mind on this, faith has no value. No value. If God said circumcision will save you. These are simple illustrations here in chapter number 4. How could we ever get justified before a holy God? Not by the things we do. Who thought of the idea of salvation anyway? God did. What is our response to salvation? Faith. Faith. Did we earn it? No. Did we get it because we're so special? Because of our credentials? Because of how nice we might look? Or the works we have done? That's what Romans 4 is trying to make as a simple point. Salvation is not earned. You cannot find things to justify yourself before God. It's only by faith. And you know what's also nice? In the whole description of this chapter, salvation is not solely the property of the Jews. For if it's not by circumcision, then even the uncircumcised can be saved. That's saying that a Gentile can be saved just as easily as a Jew who has faith in the Lord. Circumcision doesn't save. Abraham's faith went long before circumcision came along. How do we know if we have enough faith? People ask that question. How do I know if I have enough faith? Well, there's this illustration still in chapter 4, verse 17 on through the end. Another illustration concerning Abraham. We learn that he's 99 years old. 99 years old. He had no son. Sarah... Well, she was in her 90s too. They both concluded that their bodies were done. They're not going to produce children. If you had met with Abraham, say that you're sitting in the the, uh, nursing home some afternoon. And in walks this man, 100 years old, and his wife kind of tottering along on their, you know, working their way over towards you. Say, ah, Abraham, how are you today? Pretty good. You pull out your pictures. Let me show you my grandchildren. You start going through all these things. This is my son, and this is his wife, and this is and Abraham's looking and saying, Yep, we're gonna have one of those. Would you believe him? He believed God. That's the last whole paragraph of this chapter. He believed God. Can God bring life from the dead? Aha. This is so important. So important. That's what he said. He had hope, verse 18. Hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations. He didn't become weak in his faith, in verse 19. He did not waver in his unbelief, in unbelief, in verse number 20. But being fully assured, verse 21, that God had promised, he was able also to perform. 
He knew he would have children. Now why was all that written? Verse 23 says it was not written just for him. It was for our sake. Verse 24. That those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered over because of our transgressions, he was raised because of our justification. What's all that saying? It's simply that God can do it. It's not you who need to do it. You cannot do it. You cannot justify yourself before God. God can justify you. He is not only just, but He is the justifier of those who believe. This is so uh, crucial for us as we work through this. Verse 5, I bring you back to that. An anchor on that verse. But to the one who does not work, are you working? Are you doing things trying to manipulate your way before the favor of God? Are you doing things that you think that he's going to look down upon you and say, hey, you're pretty good, I'm going to justify you for that. Are you working? We all have our stars we like to wear sometimes. Say, this is what I'm going to do to impress God. This is how I'm going to get favor with God. He says very clearly, but to the one who does not work, stop, folks, stop it. The one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly. Isn't that a category we understand? He justifies who? The ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. There's no other way. It must be faith first. Faith first. I could go through pages. I've got more, but I can't. Let me, let me show you this verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse number 6. If ever there was a verse that you ought to uh, write down to put on your refrigerator door, your bathroom mirror, the dashboard of your car, I, I say it that way because you need to see it more than once a day. But this is a crucial verse. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You understand impossible? That doesn't mean kind of. Impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. What are you trusting? What kind of star do you wear? Do you have a list? These things I do to please God? To impress God? Are you a descendant of Abraham? Are you a descendant of Abraham by faith? Faith is what it came down to. Faith first. Faith only justifies a man before God. I trust that's where you are. Let's talk to the Lord about that, though. Heavenly Father, since you know every single heart in this room, we all stand before you as clear as day when you look upon us. You know us inside and out. You know our hearts. You know our efforts. You know what we believe. You know what we live for. You know what we 
used as a false front. You know how hypocritical we are. There is nothing hidden from your sight. Your scripture says that clearly. And as we stand before you, Lord, either we are standing by faith or we're standing in our own righteousness. And it's impossible to stand before you in our own righteousness. For the only one justified before God like you is the one who comes by faith. Lord, we want to be those people. Perhaps, Lord, there's somebody in this room who has never received Christ as Savior. They thought that they could find some other avenue, some other way, some other work, some other time. They've strategized and manipulated and and, uh, used all kinds of techniques that they think are sufficient to stand before you. Convince them thoroughly that it will not work. For there is no sacrifice. There is no uh, work. There is nothing man can do to justify himself before a holy God. Convince them that it's only through Jesus Christ, for he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Convince them of their need for Jesus today. And Lord, for those of us who have known you for some time, oh, we've managed to work up a few stars of our own over the years. We know it. We've added merit to our faith. Somehow we've stirred in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it's not pure. It's not what it ought to be. We have thought that perhaps I originally had salvation by faith, but, but now I've got to do something else to maintain that, to earn that, to to keep that. And we have mixed all kinds of foreign elements into it. We have worked real hard, Lord, to turn our faith into works. We've put stars on, Lord. Stars on our chest that we thought that would impress you. But it's still only Jesus that justifies us. This is what we believe. We believe in that hill called Mount Calvary. We believe whatever the cost. Jesus Christ has died for us. He is the just one. He is the one who shed his blood. We have no other merit before you but through him. And we wear his righteousness. Lord, impress that upon our hearts, for so often we live in our own way. But it must be by faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please you. Draw us to you the way that we ought to be. Examine our hearts today, Lord. Show us where we are. Help us to walk as Abraham walked. A man by faith. Help us in this, Lord, we pray. We beg that today to work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.